Hello everybody, what's up? You're listening to I Was Just Wondering with me, Tom Salmon. The show that dives into music, film and games and everything else in between. My guest on this week's show is Jack Carroll, the stand-up comedian, writer and actor hailing from West Yorkshire, England. We jumped into Jack's starring role in the British comedy Eaten by Lions, released in cinemas across the UK on the 29th of March. His experience of being the youngest ever stand-up comedian on Britain's Got Talent and being blocked by the footballer Stan Collymore on Twitter. So, if you're running, stuck in a traffic jam or sitting behind a desk at work, I hope you enjoy my interview with Jack. You're on the promo tour for Eaten by Lions, so how's it been going so far? Yeah, um, well, as we were just talking about, I, I haven't Liam Neeson it yet, so there's still, like, like you said, though, there's still time. There's still time, yeah. Um, but no, I think, um, you know, the, the, the film seems to be really, you know, have been sort of broadly positively received. So I think when you're chatting to people about it as well, mm. it's nice to that that warmth uh, seems to be reciprocal. So, yeah, it's been, it's been good fun, man. So where have you been? So I noticed you went to um, Edinburgh, was it Film Festival with it? Mm. Have you been to any other sort of like festivals? So we um, after Edinburgh, we went to um, a smaller festival in Luxembourg. Okay. Um, which was quite cool to see Luxembourg and, you know, scope out a tax haven if I ever need the <laughs> future. I hope they don't listen to this because they were really nice and I didn't. I got. I, ma- I managed to go the whole week without mentioning it being a tax haven. The tax so, haven. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was really cool. Um, and it was it was sort of because uh, Luxembourg's not really a, a, a country I think you would think of visiting. So it was really quite a cool experience to see somewhere that that was so close um to france and and germany and belgium so that was great and then we moved on to uh the dinard film festival in mm-hmm. dinard in france so right. um and and there was a a big big sort of appetite there for british film uh and and uh, that's uh so it was great to even though my French is not great, uh, I sort of understood that the the locals were receiving the movie positively, which was quite a nice thing. Oh, that's great! Yeah, I mean, they always say that in terms of like comedy films, sometimes they sort of struggle to like translate to really sort of like break out mm. because I think like humor is so like especially with comedy, it's so unique to the place where it um, where it comes from in a way. Yeah, that was the um, the the translation aspect of it. I think was the the funny thing because the the um, sort of dramatic beats of the film seem to resonate a little bit more than they did they did over over here oh, really? um, oh, yeah they, they, they seem to be in more into the sort of um you know the the human aspects of the story a little bit more which i suppose you know if you um if english isn't your first language you you um even though there were subtitles you sort of um forced to pay attention a little bit more i think aren't you so just for the um, listeners at home i'm sure you've been asked this a few times so what's your elevator pitch Eaten by Lions, for people who don't know what the uh, film's about. My uh, my elevator pitch for Eaten by Lions. Well, yeah, it's about um, it's about two half brothers, right? One white and one Asian. I'm playing the white one, typecast again. Um, and basically, our parents die, so we go to black. Uh, it's, it, so it's about uh, the the uh, white brother's name is Pete, and the the um, Asian brother's name is Omar, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and basically, uh. The the other lad is played by um, the brilliant Antonio Akil. So basically, those two characters' parents die, and then um, uh, Omar finds out that um, the guy the guy is is not his real dad. So we set off to Blackpool 
in search of in search of his real dad it's an interesting premise you know uh, eaten by lions but these the the character's parents actually being literally eaten by lions at the very mm. beginning of the movie i guess it's not a spoiler to sort of say that no and you don't actually see it unfortunately <laughs> no, you although, don't know. Yeah. although I, I did call for, uh, call for a little bit of gore and a head being ripped off or but unfortunately the budget didn't stretch so <laughs> I imagine just a really like almost a horror movie esque sort of like prologue of these poor couple being savaged. Um, yeah, well, well, I went, I, I went to the fancy dress shop and bought a suit and everything, but unfortunately they didn't go for it. So, yeah. No. I, I mean, or, or, or if it's just like the same suit as the Wizard of Oz lion. Oh yeah. Don't really carry any dramatic impact at all. No, it would be rather odd. This, yeah, this sort of like rather funny looking lion tearing the tearing this young couple to pieces. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that, so there's sort of um there's a few deaths in the first opening mm. few minutes, and then it and then it gets gradually lighter and funnier from there on in. Sort of evens out because um yeah they are dealing with the death of their uh their grandmother. So as you said, you do play Omar's sort of half brother, and it's interesting that actually you have a really endearing on-screen relationship mm. with Antonio. Was that something that you really had to work with him sort of like beforehand, or was it just that you turned up, he did the lines, and it was just kind of there already? Yeah, we um well me and Antonio, it's a funny one. Um, we we've, we've had a couple of projects unre- unrelated to this one um that we've we've sort of been nearly about to work on and we haven't worked on so i, I knew antonio um, oh, okay before before he auditioned uh, for this one but yeah i think you know if you're having a good time making a film and you like the people that you're working with i think that really translates on screen or, or hopefully it does yeah so i would say for, for everyone in the cast really mm. it was a real communal effort and therefore a pretty natural process without you know, too many stumbling blocks in terms of uh, on-screen chemistry and things. Right. Um, but J- Jason, uh, Jason, the director, likes to do a lot of um, lot of rehearsal and lot oh, of okay. messing around, which I think helps with with chemistry also. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm assuming this is like an independent film because you're not necessarily with independence. You don't necessarily get that much time to rehearse. We did a lot in a in a room in Manchester in the weeks leading up to. So we didn't do a, a oh. lot of rehearsal on okay. set, but we, right. we got we got a couple of days in in a in a room in in Manchester before we began shooting just to try and work scenes out and what the what the sort of you know the emotional heart of the thing was. And I think. You know, this is this is Jason's bread and butter, really. So mm. he's quite he's quite used to right. working in that setup. So it made it easier for everyone else. How did you become involved with the film? It's funny. It's Eaten by Lions is one of those sort of um, signifiers of significance for me, really, because right. I was involved in the. Uh, so Jason made a short film in 2013 called Going to Mecca, right? Um, which was basically, uh, give or take, it's uh, the first. 10 to 15 minutes of this of oh, Eaten by Lions yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. which uh, but that's uh, got a, diff- a different actor playing Omar um, it's got Akib Khan in it okay. um, yeah so basically it's just a, an elaboration of, of that story really so I've been been on board from the very beginning and like it's oh, um, right. it's great as a stand-up as well because you know yeah. it's, uh, it's that means it's a sort of you know highly collaborative process and you, you know Jason, don't mind you throwing lines in. I think because you you know the characters quite well and what well, they do. So I guess like at that point, since you were there at the very beginning, like you are the character, so I guess you've got a more authorial voice over what that character would do and say. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to draw a distinction, but uh, between me and the character of Pete, it's mm. a 
uh, a sarcastic, semi-annoying disabled teenager, but not a huge, it's not a huge distinction to make, unfortunately. <laughs> that is, is interesting because I think like maybe, you know, from the outside, it's very easy to draw the parallel like, oh, you're just like playing yourself. Mm. But I mean, that's something I did want to kind of like get into because obviously you did growing up in like the north of England like approaching the character of Pete in a sense of humor I mean you are also credited I, on this movie is also writing additional material mm. um humor in the north is different from the south I'd say in terms of just like the, the POV on life um, yeah I think there's um there's a there's a sort of weird zen quality to humor in the north like mm. you know I think there's um yeah it's a it's a sort of indescribable but I do understand you know what you mean there's a I think there's um, uh, an enjoyment of it, I think, in, in the North. You know, and that that's the same in the South. It's not a generalisation thing, but I think we do. And we also, you know, enjoy revelling in language here and stuff. I think that as well. Um, the, yeah. The sort of use of language is slightly different. And you, mm. you might get a, a few more um, bits of interest in vocabulary than maybe you would as much down South. Yeah, you definitely would get some different colloquialisms mm. um, that would sort of like distinguish, I guess, like between like South and, and North. And also, I think like, again, like not wanting to generalise, but I think like they find more humour in the sort of mundanity of life. I mean, obviously, the landscape is sort of like different. I mean, I guess geographically, mm. I guess there are those those very sort of stark differences. Yeah, I think it probably is like um, as historical implications, doesn't it, as to as to, yeah. what, uh, you know, what we did do as opposed to what we're doing now and that sort of carries down the the mm. gener- generation yeah true it? true um yeah anyway we've done a we've done a bit of history there as well we have we? a bit yeah i mean <laughs> anyone anyone who's writing a phd or at university do not include any of that cause it's <laughs> a load of old rubbish but um but yeah it's, it sounded good it did sound yeah it's, uh, yeah it was definitely top notch top yeah. notch how long actually was the um production so we we had a few pickup days which were sort of quite spaced out but the initial shoot i think was about a month and a half i think oh, okay. long. it all it all blurred really into into one sort of long thing right um, so you know i could be could be way out with that date but i i'm 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 sort of that's the i was about to say that's the the number i'm getting like some sort of <laughs> stage psychic but um yeah that 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 sounds about right what was your sort of like toughest day on set emotionally and sort of like physically um i'm kind of thinking like the sort of beach stuff and the car chase there's um the, the, the it was nice it's nice as an actor though because i think on a lot of jobs Mm. I because I, I, I prefer I, pre, I would prefer to be doing stuff rather than right. standing around waiting for setups and things right. so actually like I think ultimately the sort of high octane type of thing energizes me more right. than 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 if it's just a scene with with dialogue but there, there was certainly a lot to do like yeah that that scene on the um when the when the tide's coming in or mm. um or or with the the little car chase bit um that because you're actually getting water thrown over your head and stuff which in you know isn't a great feeling i can um, imagine but after then the again yeah after the fifth time where you're going we've got have we got to do this again <laughs> yeah. or is that or is this just some sort of cruel bet at my expense yeah um, but i think it, that helps you to sort of simulate the emotion a little bit more and right. um, 
you know, helps with performance. So I like this scene that really sort of stuck out for me is when um, you and Omar walking across the pier and he's walking way ahead of you and you're like, oh, please slow down, slow down. And then you go into that whole bit. Yeah, <laughs> about how that, it's kind of like that bit. Exploit, yeah. Exploiting you. Um, yes, I improvised that whole thing. And Jason was driving along. Jason, director, was driving along in, mm. a, in a cart uh, next to us shooting. And right. out the corner of my eye as I was doing that monologue, I could just, he started to cry with laughter. So... <laughs> So I just I just kept going and that right. was like, that was that was basically uh, lighting the touch paper really I just kept going and ramping it up to an even more offensive level um, and uh, and yeah that that was a great day man that was a, a really good day that really made me laugh it's so in keeping with the film but you think like well is that actually like written or is that just like you know it's just of the scene we'd um well we'd we'd we knew we wanted to do something like that. And then, and then it's just about finding the opportunity and where it lies, really. Right. Because um, we'd 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 put that idea in the original short film. Oh, okay. Um, and then, and then, yeah, we knew we wanted to repeat it, but it's just about finding out where it would fit. So jumping back a little bit, just to recap your sort of history in a way, and I was surprised because you started performing when you were was eleven. That- yes. Yeah. And like so, what? So I watched the, the famous um, sort of stand-up gig you did at your mum and dad's civil wedding anniversary in two thousand and ten. Lovely stuff. And it's funny because your dad introduced you with "Give me five minutes for Jack Strange humour," yeah. and I was just thinking, like now looking back on it and the success you've had, but it's such like a parent thing to kind of sort of say in a way. Yeah. Um, I was really sort of taken with the, your stage presence and just how you got into it. Like it just it seemed like effortless, and I just wondered mm. in terms of the prep work yeah well i'd had the idea of doing a performance there a couple of weeks uh, before um and my my cousin did um script writing at university so he sort of helped me with all the structure of the set and and the the performance aspect of things so he he was hugely helpful in sort oh, of getting wow. me getting me ready for that um, yeah and yeah i'd always like from being six years old i'd always wanted to sort of uh do some form of uh comedy writing something like that yeah um and and so that seemed like a good opportunity to uh to start really and um and yeah i mean you know you look back and go oh that's a significant really significant moment mm. because that kicked so many other things into into motion so you know uh, i've got to be grateful to my mum and dad too for actually allowing it at, uh, what could have been uh you know, uh, what could have ruined the occasion, but, you know, thankfully. Sylvia, is that 25? I'm trying to think what that... Yeah, um, 25, yeah. But it worked out. Um, and also, it was interesting around that time in 2010, that was... I'm trying to think in terms of, like, social media and, like, Vine and, like, YouTube and stuff, because I was thinking, like, had you, like, done it, like, say, like, today, and the implications of, like, something like that? Yeah, I think that's like, probably um, a fortunate aspect of the whole yeah. thing, but it, it sort of went comfortably viral mm. where it was like it's an it got it got to about uh, you know by the time that the local news had picked it up and then i went on to do other things because yeah. of that um it, it got to about you know 25,000 30,000 views mm. after whereas i think that's a lot more of a manageable manageable thing than say if it had gone you know crazy straight out of the gate i think i, I think as well i'm i'm sort of grateful for the the gradual build-up of mm. you know, that video and then on to Britain's Got Talent and that, you know, it's a, it's, um, I was, I was 
able to dip my toes in the water, so to speak, before you know anything too crazy happened. Yeah, you had like a nice. Good. Uh, you had like a nice. I mean, you did have like a nice um, progression because the way I've sort of tracked the timeline is you did that. Then I think was it Jason Manford saw the video and then invited you to perform or open for him. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was around. The, I think it's like around the same time that you won the the Pride of Britain award for Teenager of Courage. I hope I'm getting that right. Yeah, yeah. So I won that. Um, I won that about two years later. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was 2012, and I opened for Jason in tw- at the sort of end of. 2010 i think did you go like six months or like a year or something without actually performing or did that sort of video hit and you're like right i'm gonna get out there and i'm gonna start performing i was on or? um I, I got a role on um a, a kids show for cbbc with vic reeves right um which sort of happened in between in the in-between phase, oh, okay um which was you know great because i love i even then you know i'd sort of growing up watching Vic and Bob so that was mm. huge huge um huge thing for me yeah I just watched a um a short clip of it today about the the episode when they're um this girl rings up and asks who's better boys or girls and then Vic Reeves and the other dude just dance around as peacocks yeah like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah it's um it, it's it was fun for all the family I think like yeah and uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, it still kept his level of surrealism because I was watching it because I was thinking like shooting stars and and the sort of like real I guess like old comedy that he was sort of like known for would that carry through to like a children's show mm. and I was like yeah that that that's him so working on that show like what did you learn about watching you know I guess a comedy legend work that gave me a good grounding in how sort of physically demanding the job is you know I mean not that we're fighting fires or any of that mm. that sort of thing but it's um it's a lot long long hours and mm. you've got to i think the main thing i learned from watching vic reeves there was like give it give every take the same energy as if you're doing it for the first time right you know make sure to yeah. keep that energy up throughout throughout the throughout the day um which is why i'm now um you know after resort to uh, speed speed yeah, old school that, yeah old, nice <laughs> old school. That, I, I hope nobody <laughs> writes that down because they'll just surgically remove the sarcasm from it and then uh, and then it'll be chaos it will um, be like confessors to speed addiction yeah uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and then uh, and then the internet outrage culture will uh, destroy me you'd be um, mobbed, yeah um but no i think yeah so it gave me that sort of grounding of like you know um you've got to take pride in the things that you doing i think and and give it the same energy all the way through i think that's Uh, one of the things that people don't realize about performing on camera or on stage they think you just like turn up and then you just say stuff not that you've got to you know create an internal energy that has to translate and you have to sort of like project mm. um especially you have to give something and also maintain that level of commitment throughout which you know that's why uh i mean i can only imagine you any sort of like performer who comes off stage is sort of like physically drained Mm. Um, well, this should be if they if they are sort of like committed to the work. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, no, go ahead, man. I think that just about summed it up. Um, oh yeah, so just jumping back to the um, gig. So with the sort of like stand up, they say that basically any audience will give you a minute, 
and then you've got to be funny. Mm. So I was just wondering in terms of when you first did those gigs with, with Jason, I mean, how much stage time did you get? I mean, clearly you're funny um, mm. and you can command a, an audience. Um, and what was that like? And did anybody like heckle? Have you had to like shut down people like heckling you or any of that kind of sort of stuff? Yeah. So I, um, I didn't really like, I didn't start gigging solidly until, um, uh, pre-Britain's Got Talent so right. uh, when I when I was opening for Jason around sort of 2010 11 um, mm. I was doing little gigs at, at, you know when people asked me rather than comedy clubs um, and then but so right. that that sort of changed um, as far as as far as heckling and um, and that sort of thing I I mean, it's happened uh, a couple of times, and you know, I do enjoy the the sport of it. But I think right. on the whole, on the whole, I sort of try and present a, a pleasant demeanour, so it didn't really invite heckling as much. Right, um, I see. You know, and and that's not a not really a conscious thing, but I think um, being a being a sort of twenty year old as I am, mm. if I if I went on to the stage acting like I knew all the answers that right. maybe w- wouldn't be the the greatest look in the world so i think i do project a sort of um a spirit of you know hopefully that that i'm there to learn as much as as much as anything so you right. know i think um that helps to ward off hecklers cut to my cut to my next gig tomorrow <laughs> and it'll just be a sea of bottles and rotten <laughs> fruit and i'll be i'll be i'll be ducking and trying to Run yeah. stage. Yeah. Um, that's that is interesting though, because I never really thought about that in terms of the type of comedy that you're presenting. I mean, if you're very confrontational and aggressive, that invites an, like this, a similar sort of response from the audience. But if you are kind of like there and you and you and you're doing your sort of stuff, and you just say you are sort of like pleasant and polite, mm. you'd have to be kind of a real sort of like dick. I mean, especially like um, when you started out like heckling like an 11 year old on stage. I can't imagine anybody's going to win many points um, for that. In fact, you know, like you're probably going to lose them. Uh, yeah, no, that would be um, it'd be funny if I just went at eleven. If I just went like, all right, then get up here, I'll knock you out. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. Just done that. I, th- I think that might have shocked them. But no, I, I do try and you know um, make the comedy um, an inclusive atmosphere in the sense of I'm inviting the audience in, and therefore I mm. expect a level of level of respect back. Right. Um, you know, as much as much as anything i try to do that but it's good it's good to not like over intellectualize the process either true true your britain's got talent entry that was i mean i watched so i've watched the uh, the first set that you did and it like it just seems to me the whole process seems to be like competing at like a high level sort of like sporting event like the olympics or something because you have all that sort of like pageantry and pressure and attention on you and also you could get like knocked out mm. how did you handle that pressure and attention on you because it is very like make or break like you have like your three minutes yeah I think um youth was on my side in that sense that I was pretty fearless I think right I would say so so I actually relished that sort of spectacle of things right and thought this is quite exciting um and that's sort of I think one of the advantages of youthful exuberance that you don't necessarily think of all the variables as i'm right I, i'm talking like i'm 50 years old i'm only 20 but it's um uh, you know seven years you start to develop like you know i wonder if this happens or whatever whereas mm. i didn't didn't really have that then i just sort of 
blustered through and went along with the um, with the process and you know enjoyed and relished that sort of spectacle and slight competitive edge to things. Um, and you did a you did a fair old race roast of like Simon Cowell there as well, and he seemed to take that in pretty good uh, good spirits as well. That yeah, was... yeah. Uh, th- thankfully, because I mean, you know, I'm sure he could have me killed if he wanted to. <laughs> I think he's um, rich enough. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think I'd be. I my head on yeah on a spike would be but a drop in the ocean. For you, <laughs> Simon Cow. Um, but I think yeah. Um, I, I I think the you know the the people working on the show and the the judges like mm. it if you if you uh, subvert the whole process and give the show a little bit of a make the show a little bit of a send up of itself really because yeah. it Britain's got talent don't take itself too seriously which is what i liked about it i think right um and if you can sort of play with that format and play with the power dynamics at work there then i think that creates quite an interesting thing and it's a very broad audience as well, because I was just thinking about it today. Like, like, so if you're playing a comedy club, that's a very sort of specific sort of, I guess, audience. But that one, it's like, it's like kids all the way to like sort of like grandparents. So you just play to everyone. Mm. I think like what a terrific sort of like platform to be able to hit like like every demographic at once and have millions of people watch you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's um, I think because I think uh, a lot of people from the outside in see. Uh, just think of it as some sort of nefarious reality TV machine that's there mm. to, to bleed people dry and don't really care about the human impact. That is not like my experience of that show at all. Right. What I, what I found was a lot of people trying to make the best product they could they could yeah. make and you know try and help you as much as possible. And it uh, and it is that like I will be forever grateful to that show for that huge platform that they gave me that has allowed me to you know make a career out of doing the thing that i love really so yeah i'm forever grateful for that you know that huge broad platform because you're you're put you'll push at such a level you're such at the forefront of say like culture and then i always think like well afterwards then i mean not in your case because obviously you were working and mm. you're doing things before but i know for like some people in there it's like the idea that somebody can walk off the street like a taxi driver can sing this sort of like, beautiful song win mm. And then you're like, well, that was good. But then you actually have to put the hard work in, like creating a career, going out there, you know, auditioning, getting the jobs, like doing the gigs. Yeah. And I think that's something that perhaps when people sort of fall off or they don't understand, they're like, well, that's just that's brilliant. But then you've got to put the hard work in. I would I would say that. And just having the, you know, my they said, have you got any advice? You know, I did a, a thing from the other week and they said, have you, yeah. have you got any advice for anyone that's thinking of applying? And I think it would be enjoy the experience but then also have the foresight to be able to they give you a platform and mm. it is it is your it is what you make of it so yeah you know it's it, it's a it's a blank slate and mm. then it's what what you make of it so just have the you know have i think having the foresight to use the platform to your advantage is a you know a huge part of the process so it might be a sore point here, but um, I know you were beaten in the um, final by the dance group attraction. Yeah, and I was as, just <laughs> as Jason, the director, reminded me almost every day on on, on the shoot. I don't think. Well, I mean, I wonder how you feel about this, but actually winning the show, I don't think it would have potentially changed your career too much from where it is now, because it seems to be in a in a great in a great place. Whereas, like, I don't. I should have googled them to see what they were doing now, but I, especially with, like dance groups, because they can kind of be sort of like faceless as well. They're kind of you know, if you lose a member, you get another member in. If there's thirty of you, yeah. 
obviously the winning would have been better for your bank balance but do you do you think you would have got more opportunities from that perhaps well it might be a case of you know cognitive reframing or whatever but it's yeah. funny funny you mentioned that because um if i had a one I would have been contractually obliged to go and do a load of press days for Britain's Got Talent, which would have uh, stopped me from shooting the short uh, going to Mecca, which was the short version of of Eaten by Lions. So I probably wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be, there there wouldn't, uh, had I won the show, Eaten by Lions probably wouldn't exist. So... Um, oh wow or, or certainly not not in this form so yeah um you know so that's a i think a a blessing in well not necessarily in disguise but i think is a is a lucky thing that you you look back and you go oh that's um a significant moment actually because if i hadn't got that then that wouldn't have led to this etc etc so that's interesting yeah you would have um i guess like you would have been spending that prize money on like ferraris or something or you know yeah well i think um you know um maybe just like a, a sort of golden walking frame is what I was yeah blinged out like your platinum uh, bust out with a few diamonds yeah. on there as well uh, nice a tim, tim westwood pimp my ride <laughs> which i think is what stephen hawking did with his wheelchair he got progressively more and more high tech as he yeah, as his book sold just, more and more and more yeah, twenty-eight inch alloy wheels. Yeah, like um. And, uh, yeah, and a spoiler. Both sounds um, no. But yeah, so I pro- you know, my lines probably wouldn't exist in in this form, mm. and uh, and you know, I would I would rather have, uh, I think, worked with a director that I really like working with and a, a great cast and, you know, have a movie that we're all really proud of at, at the end of it than um, than you know won a talent competition at, at 13 not to be too flippant about things because obviously I'm grateful for the platform as I've said yeah 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 um and at the time I'm be saying I think I watched an interview with you loose women that they said afterwards they were asking you we you signed like a book deal with um with Simon Cowell's like production company and I'm, I'm quite yeah sure you just said it would have just basically been you in bed eating crisps mm. um mm. so I just want to touch on like growing up with like your disability Mm. um what was your childhood like i think it'd be different if i um had hadn't got uh cerebral palsy and then Mm. you know somehow i had got it but the thing is i've I've never known anything different yeah um i've got nothing to compare it to really so uh, i don't think it was a case of people telling me I was different as much right. as you know trying to find find certain things out for myself but right. you know look luckily I'm not I'm not um not too badly afflicted um, right but but it's uh you know I think it's a yeah it's a case of I've never known anything different right so you know I, I I've got nothing to compare it to and you know actually I'm hugely grateful for the cerebral palsy because probably mm. early on I wouldn't have developed the you know the verbal skills and the communication skills that that have helped me to do comedy and all that sort of thing so I'm, I'm grateful for it in that way. I mean that's a really interesting point because I was thinking about like about the disability and about that and I was thinking like there's not many like I was thinking of like 11 year olds that could do what you do you know what I mean like in terms of like your performance taking sort of stage writing jokes and performing I mean that's really sort of like um exceptional but it's like I guess like it's born out of 
fine tuning or building other sort of like skills perhaps um to sort of navigate through life yeah uh, absolutely i think it's um you know i think and, and it's more interesting to think of it like that as well yeah whether, whether that's the case or not but obviously um i'm hugely appreciative of the you know my family and uh, mm. the the early support network and confidence they gave me in in sort of uh pursuing an enjoyment of 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 talking to people and making people mm. laugh and and that sort of response you know that i got from because everyone in my family likes a laugh and that's right. sort of the main the main um thing in in our lives really is is having a laugh with each other and i think that's a uh, a thing that I'm grateful for, and you know, that getting that early encouragement as a as a youngster, like a yeah. re- real youngster, like you know, th- three four years old, that I can I could actually do that and make people laugh and communicate well, was a, a huge part of setting me on the on the journey. Were you making your parents laugh at four years old? Mm, yeah. Really? You were yeah. like doing bits and comedy bits for them yeah, at four. Pro- Probably, oh my God. probably. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think I, you know, I, it, it, that's what was going on around me. So it just sort of seemed natural that I would sort of do that, really. So you are twenty now, seven years deep in the comedy game. So how are you finding your life of being like a professional sort of stand-up and sort of travelling around? Yeah, I'm now a battle-weary alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I um I like it, man. I, you know the the logistics of of stand up comedy the traveling and the mm. you know getting places and, and things can sometimes be um a little bit of a a little bit of a pain and take the, the shine off the the work a little bit but right. you know I'm I'm careful with the gigs that I choose that they're not too um taxing in terms of travel and things right the actual work um you know I really I really enjoy and uh you know I think the the stand up is the sort of main it's something that you know I might not enjoy as much as I enjoy the writing or the acting some of the time, but I okay, think stand up yeah, yeah. st- is a hugely important bedrock as it's the the thing that all mm. that other stuff springs from. So it's got the the performing um, demands of of acting and the the writing demands of of you know writing comedy as well. So it's the the thing that it's the discipline that combines the two of the things that I enjoy doing. So it's. Um, huge to um to sort of keep my hand in with that i think and i actually did google where you're playing on thursday so i can give you a uh, mm. uh a wee a wee plug was it it was the courtyard at, oh, i'm probably gonna probably pronounce this wrong was it yeah. wixley wickersley really? yeah wickersley yeah 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 well i'm in uh, it's mainly the north but i'm in central london sort of two or three days out of the month usually oh so okay I'll do gigs when I'm in when I'm in London town as well, um, which is quite quite nice because I think um, the audiences you, you get comfortable with northern audiences as they're usually quite warm and receptive. Yeah. Um, so it's quite nice to go to go down and sort of go out in a you know a comedy club in Leicester Square and see the front row with their arms folded, going, "We could have gone to Mamma Mia, but we didn't. <laughs> we came here instead. So you better be funny." Um, that is true because you have your audiences and you know you're going to kill no matter what. And then I guess there's the audiences when you kind of have to work where they're just like indifferent and you have to warm them up. Yeah. So that's it. And I well, guess like that's the art, isn't it? 
Yeah, and that, and that and that's definitely it. And I think what you find from performing in a major city like London is there's usually three people in the gig from Canada going, "Why is he talking about Coronation Street? What's Coronation <laughs> Street?" And uh, you know, therefore you have to you're forced to adapt. I think then. I was sort of fascinated by the fact that you were in front of David Williams and he calls you like a comedy genius. And then a year later, you're working with him on an episode of um, Big School. Mm. I'm assuming he's like one of your comedy idols and has yeah, played a big man. part of your career. Mm. What was it like actually working with him as a sort of like a colleague or peer, if you will, on that episode? Yeah, well, I'm sort of deeply grateful to David as well because he's, you know, given me a lot of advice and guidance after the after Britain's Got mm. Talent as well. So we, we've stayed in touch Um but as far as that episode of Big School went, he, he just basically said, do you, do you, you know, do you want to do um, an episode? And then mm. I went and sort of met him and we chatted, but I didn't know exactly what it would be at that time. And then uh, the offer the offer came through. And right. I think um, that I got a chance again to work with, you know, like Francis Delator on that show mm. and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Catherine Tate, most of my scenes were with Catherine Tate in that episode. So that's like, you know, kid in the sweet shop type. Yeah, oh, stuff. I bet, yeah. Um, you know, and it was, it, I think the main thing I had to learn from that job was just not to, not to break down laughing when someone <laughs> says something funny on camera because that's very difficult, like when you're surrounded by those people. I can imagine. Yeah, not, was it corpsing, I think, isn't it? When they, yeah, um... yeah, when I'm corpsing like crazy. I was, I, yeah. The, um, the 15th take and everybody wants to go for lunch and you're just like abs- just please say this one line absolutely and i still yeah uh, I'm, I'm, that's um sort of six years removed now and i still haven't got out of the habit so <laughs> i think that's one of those things though isn't it like if you're surrounded by funny people and they're doing funny things i guess that's um yeah that well i think that's how you know the work is um it's good stuff if you're if you're laughing then it must be good stuff Oh, yeah. And here's a bit of um, TV trivia. So you were a contestant on Pointless uh, Celebrities Comedians. Mm. Um, do you still hold a grudge against Terry for knocking you out in the first round? Well, if we'd gone with my answer. <laughs> yeah. Not not saying anything, but if we'd gone with my answer, we would have scored three and been comfortably through to the next round. You would have, yeah. But Terry's great. And, uh, you know, he apologised a lot. And <laughs> I think after a few, um, after a few... Uh, letters cut out from magazines that I sent to his house, uh, right. along with along with a few um, sharp objects. We we patched yeah. it up and we're okay again. Check it out. Yeah. Oh gosh, my my parents are all about pointless. They mm. love. They've reached the age where game shows are their sort of like go to twenty four seven now. Yeah. So yeah, uh, just just shouting answers. Just they are. Yeah. 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 Just anything. Anything. Um, Who's the comedian's got a routine about that? About um. I can't remember who it is, so forgive me if you know it and I'm not crediting, but it's um, just about walking past people's windows as they're watching game shows. So they're just shouting stuff like Twix and John Cleese, stuff like that. You know, they were, they, you would wonder what's going on if you, just discordant phrases. I often wonder what's going on when my parents are sat in front of their um, TV watching uh, quiz shows. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Man. It's kind of like a fish. It's sort of like trivia, sort of like um, goldfish bowl in a way. Yeah, yeah, I think it is that. Um, but yeah, po- pointless was fun because mm. you know, like um, my grandma and granddad really like watching that, so it was a nice thing to do for you know they they were 
uh, sort of looking forward to me popping up on that. And it's a shame I went out in the first round. But again, as we've discussed, not my fault. Am I right in thinking you're still um, working on Trolley? Yeah, the um, the last episode of Trolley went out at Christmas. So we did uh, we did seven series in a, and a feature length Christmas special. Oh, so you're, that's it, you're done and dusted. Yeah, we, we've, we've finished that now. Um, yeah. But it was we went out on a on a massive high, mm. and uh, and you know that's you know, to play a small part in what is you know a huge show in British comedy and yeah besides um besides my Britain's Got Talent and my stand up stuff that's the the thing I get stopped most for in the the street so it it's obviously I can tell it's resonated with people a lot um and uh, you know people like it so uh, to be able to uh, give that a good send off after working on it for so many years was was amazing and you know and a really really excellent cast as well i was gonna say when you worked side was it jason watkins hyper and that's it right faye mckeever and dominic coleman so i was Mm. just wondering was there a friendly competition on set of who could nail the funniest bit on set yeah i think um uh, and stephen tomkinson as well he's, he's great steve uh, Tomkinson and uh, I don't know about competition I think again it was one of those things where uh, it seemed like a real communal thing of people just trying to make the best thing that they they could mm. um, you know and I think that was the nice thing that even though there were huge names in the show yeah we all felt like we because it's an ensemble there was a real feeling of equality throughout the thing have you ever been in an experience where where people have been like trying to be like competitively so like funny like they have to be funnier and I can imagine that can be quite detrimental to something being funny if somebody's trying to be is that anything yeah you've... I think um yeah there, there, there's that uh, symptom of like uh, trying to have to be the funniest person in the room and, and being on all the time which mm. I, I ex- is exhausting both for the person and the people around them mm. um you know, and I fall into the trap of doing it sometimes, but you've just got to watch yourself, I think, and go, is this actually conducive to a nice environment or am I just being being aggressive and, you know, masking it in the in the right. veil of humour? You know, I think and right. I think that is a, a bit of a danger sometimes. But you sort of if you let those people burn out, then you can get on with the job. Right, I see. Yeah, that's sort of like you give them an hour and then they, they can't like they're done. They're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. can like slide in and do, and do the work. No one can sustain mania for more. <laughs> they, they'd be they'd be dead. The interesting thing about like comedy or if you do like a sport or something is that you have these sort of like set of skills that you can sort of like slide into into like other sort of like social settings. Is that something you find yourself doing when you may be like out and about, or or do you feel when you run into people that you feel there's some sort of responsibility to? You know, you're not on the clock, but to entertain and, you know, make people laugh. Yeah, and I would say so. And it's just about keeping that balance, really. So you can still locate mm. self when you need to. In your quiet moments, you go, I need to actually locate who I am rather than this sort of weird mishmash of comedy thing that I've built up. So I think it's just about keeping that balance between um, keeping people happy and you know mm-hmm. uh having a laugh and being playful and then also you know not not taking the whole i'm a um you know i'm a i'm the comedy guy too far yes you, you lose the humanity which is the thing that creates the comedy in the first place and the thing that people connect with i guess as well because i think mm. there's a lot of 
I think what well, I can think of some very high high levels of like I guess comedic actors where you're like they're very sort of proficient and technical but seem to have lost the humour or the humanity or it is just purely work there's nothing for like an audience I guess like subconsciously sort of latch onto or identify with it just feels very performative in a way yeah I think there is an evolutionary subconscious thing to towards the truth of a situation isn't there and mm. and and audiences are pretty good at sniffing it out. Yeah. <laughs> they're just doing it for the they're doing it for the money. So yeah. that's something I did want to touch on because you did start really really young, and I'm assuming that there weren't many 11 year olds, 13 year olds that were making the kind of money you were at the time. And we do mm. live in the era of Rob Ryden, who does make a million pounds. I've heard recording voiceovers for P and Q ferries in his basement. How do you pick and choose things that you say yes to? Fee is a big part of it. No. Uh, no, I, um, <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. Come on, yeah. yeah. I'm going I'm going, yeah, I know he's a he's a dictator who cut three people's hands off last week, but he's a good guy. <laughs> he's a know? good guy. He's, he's a good guy, crucially, with money to burn. So, um No, but I think you do have to be um you do have to be mindful of striking a balance between making a living in order to be able to fund the work that you do and doing stuff that you care about. So I think like it's just that balance between, all right, that's one for everyone else. Now I'll do one for myself. Because I was always thinking my thing is like people have this notion of like selling out, especially in a comedy world. Oh, no, you're selling out if you do like a cornflakes voiceover or something. Yeah, it's a it's a strange like dance in a way. Isn't it? And mm. it's one you've one you've got to watch because you don't want to go too far either either way, really. Um, but, you know, if you see me on a on a golf course with Jimmy Tarbuck, yeah, you'll, you'll know. You'll know I've tipped over the edge. <laughs> Jack started wearing knitted sweaters. Yeah, and they've got the old yeah. fake tan and the old um, gold uh, gold chains on. Yeah, that's it. I'll just be, I'll be yeah, do it doing Bob Monkhouse gags. Um, yeah, that uh, no, but I think that that is um, a thing that you've and uh, maybe not even so much now, but you know, as I hopefully develop in my career, mm. a thing that that I may have to watch. Life outside of comedy. So you're 20, well-paying mm. job, social media clout. How do you relax, Jack? So I would, because I would usually say going out to the pub, but I've <laughs> sort of stopped drinking for the last four months in any sort of heavy way. So that's right. out. Um, okay. I go, I go to, um, I go to the gym. I work out most days. Right. Um, and I also do Brazilian jiu-jitsu three times a week. Oh, nice. Um, so that that's good. I think for um uh, a problem solving aspect and a uh, physical aspect i think that keeps you and also an ego aspect it, it's you know hopefully keeps you honest if you get beaten up three times a week yeah if you like um, you, if you don't you realize like if you don't tap they're probably going to snap it off so i guess yeah. it like you know <laughs> yeah absolutely um, so are you an mma fan is that something you're into as well yeah i mean i'm into uh yeah mma and um and boxing and football so yeah i'm also a big Big Leeds United fan, so I'll go to the football on a Saturday as well. Do they invite you to, you know, take a tour that perhaps the general public wouldn't do or get you more involved in a more sort of social media aspect side of things as well, like meeting the players? I've done um, done a few of them things. I'd still sit in my usual seat because I like the cut and thrust of a <laughs> proper football atmosphere. Right. Um, you know, but I... Um, but yeah, they they they're, they're good at Leeds United. I think for you know, I'm grateful to them for the some of the opportunities you know, corporate wise and things that, that I've had there. And I'm sort of 
you know, semi-well-known in the club and things. So I feel at home at that place as much as anywhere. Oh, yeah, that must be really nice. Um, yeah, especially since, you know, I've been going since I was, you know, four years old. So it's it's really nice to be accepted by, by them. So I can imagine you've had a few people, like a few girls, like sliding into your DMs, a sort of fan messages. What's like the craziest thing? Um, nothing too, nothing too crazy. I had anyone like, you know, threatening to turn up outside my house and <laughs> cut my head off. But um, I would be grateful for that level of affection and commitment. <laughs> um, but no, I think, again, that's another um, hurdle that you've got to learn to deal with as, mu- as much as anything. But uh, yeah, there's nothing, been nothing too I'm crazy. too crazy. Yeah, no. I've, um, you know, nothing, no one offering to like buy my kidneys or anything. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, I haven't started an illegal organ donation. No, or like people asking for your hair or like a sweaty T-shirt, anything yeah, like that. Yeah, that, you know, that's, um, that's a, we were talking about commerce earlier. That's, that's a, true. A, a definite sideline. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, um, yeah, you could set up a, uh, I guess like an eBay or something. Oh, no, no, merch store. Get your own website, merch store, and you could sell yeah. sweaty T-shirts. Yeah, love that. Um, on there, make a, good, mm. uh, a couple of quid. Yeah, um, I think I'd make more from that than I do from comedy, probably. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's definitely that. It's definitely global. Like transcends all language. Uh, Absolutely. Barrier. Yeah. There's there's no um, there's no mistranslation. You know what you're getting with this sweaty t-shirt. You course. do. So after Eaten by Lions, which is released on the 29th of March, um, you've done the red carpet. You've given your last interview. Um, what's the fondest memory you're going to take away um, from your time making the film in Blackpool? I think ultimately the uh, the laughs probably I would say and getting to work with um, people in comedy that I really respect such as mm-hmm. Johnny Vegas and Asim Chowdhury and Kevin Eldon and Vicky Pepperdine and you know and Nitin and Haley and, and those sort of people in the cast is like they're, they're landmark moments I think. It's a really amazing cast now I must say I've got to shout out um, Vicky as the, um, as the aunt. Mm. That character, oh my god! Like, <laughs> that I saw that. It's like, how yeah. can you be that unpleasant? I mean, unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that means she's doing her job. A few fun questions to finish off. Okay, so I have to ask, what is your favourite menu item from Greg's? Steak bake. I've had one this morning actually. Oh, nice. Synchronicity. Just, do you single steak bake or do you like to double up? Oh no, single steak bake. I'm okay, not, so... a, not a maniac. <laughs> I mean, they are like five thousand calories, so I guess yeah. like one, one's enough. One's enough. Um, Best place in West uh, West Yorkshire? Best place in West Yorkshire, Ellen Road, yep. the home of Leeds United. Great. Um, who is Stan Collymore? Uh, well, Stan Collymore is a man who's blocked me for no reason on Twitter. He is also a dogger and an alleged domestic abuser. So <laughs> I w- if I wasn't blocked before, I definitely will be now. It's going to start the feud, the beef, the beef that um that well, came the, from like a podcast. There, there is no beef because I've been blocked. Oh, you won't, be- won't hear or see oh. anything that I've that I've done. I remember seeing the um, was it Pep Guala, the um, uh, Manchester City uh, yeah clip, and he, and they're like Stan, he's like Stan Collymore, Stan like who? Yeah, oh, Stan Collymore. <laughs> yeah, it's great in it that. But yeah, I don't know why Stan Collymore blocked me because I think he's quite an interesting bloke and you know, he is it'd be good he to a, read his tweets i think he wrote a book he wrote a book conquering my demons in 2005 and he's also in like a basic instinct too and then he's also like a football pundit and rt now as well so he's a very he's had a very eclectic career stan collymore yeah i think it's um he's a he's a difficult guy to pin down and that, that's not a cute <laughs> and Ulrika johnson gag but i think 
he is a difficult. So I would like to read his tweets, but I've been mm. unfortunately, I'd, I've been told I got added to like a block list. So it's right. just a, um, a list of verified accounts that a PR agency has said he won't agree with. So they just randomly block people. I read um, it was keywords, and they're like, if you say the keyword, then they just block you. Yeah, then they just block oh. you. And because I've never had any correspondence with Stan, and it's a you know it's a shame. I well maybe not a shame now. I've, now I've ridiculed him on a podcast that I won't be able to in the future. Yeah, I mean, maybe one day, you know, he'll explain why he blocked you. You can patch it up over a pint, perhaps, and then yeah. he can tell you stories of, of his time on Basic Instinct to working or Sharon Stone. Absolutely. A, a great night. And if you, you know, if you need a, if you need an idea for a second podcast, then that's probably it. You know what? I think that, I think, yeah, you think you'd be yeah. a great second guest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely. There's a lot to, um, there's a lot to dive into, and he kind of already has Liam Neeson himself, so... Yeah, you know. there's, no, there's no danger of, of, him, <laughs> of him plumbing any further depth. So, final question. The one film and television show that you can't live without? It's a tie between, as far as TV goes, right? I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I, if I name one, I have to name the others. The Sopranos, The Office, yes. I'm Alan Partridge, The League mm-hmm. of Gentlemen, and Peep Show. As far, as far as film yeah. goes, train spotting. as far as film oh, goes. okay. Yeah. I mean, the first, I haven't, I think I watched five minutes of the second one, but the first one was just, just, the, I think Danny Ball is such like a sort of like punk infused filmmaker. And it was, there was such a sort of a mania to, to that movie. And, yeah. And the music is incredible. Like the cinematography, like the whole, it was like a perfect storm of all these great elements. Absolutely. Um, I think that's what, you know, what I get from, from that as well. What was the thing that, I mean, what was the thing about that particular story that sort of, um, that appeals to you well I mean appeals to sort of a strong word about heroin addicts but what what, what was it about that that sort of yeah you? it didn't make me want to go out and do heroin <laughs> contrary to Christian commentators on on the movie but um I think it's just the idea that that people are, are constantly trying to define define themselves and then having mm. to go out and try and redefine themselves right. um and that that sort of search for meaning in a in life is a big sort of theme in that that thing i think that movie well going back to the very beginning from when you sort of started the meaning of what you were doing to like now i guess like you're always trying to refine or reassert or refocus that sort of meanings you continue through life and that yeah. you have sort of ex- experience as well yeah definitely um, i think that's a, a huge part of the human experience brilliant um well jack thank you so much for spending an hour with me um, on the podcast talking about Eaten by Lions which is out on the 29th of March in cinemas yeah. in the UK absolutely I um, um, well it's been been great chatting Tom I think it's been a real laugh and uh, we've got to the bottom of some stuff and I've plugged the movie it's all good so there you have it I had a great time chatting with Jack please do like and subscribe to the show on SoundCloud and YouTube and drop a comment or two and you can get in touch with me at the Samling 01 on Instagram thank you so much for listening I've been Tom and I'll catch up with you next episode.